Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hawking Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. Well, today we're beginning a new sermon series um, that'll go through August and all of September. And we're going to be focusing on some of the kings in the Old Testament scriptures. And we're going to look at six specific kings and really dig into their lives and what can we learn uh, from these men. And one thing I love about the Bible is the Bible presents the true story. Uh, It presents reality. It shows the successes and failures of men and women. And honestly, the lives of these Old Testament kings are not warm and fuzzy. Uh, Many of these men made some very critical mistakes uh, that impacted a lot of people. And I don't know about you, but it's often in my failures that God wakes me up, that God imprints on my heart significant lessons about faith, and trusting him. So I really believe that through this series, especially through the failures of these men who are kings, we're going to learn what does it mean to be men and women of faith uh, who are after God's own heart. And so I just want to begin by just praying for us as we kick off this series. Uh, Father, we we just come to you this morning just humbly uh, asking God for your word once again, to uh, pierce our hearts, God. Uh, To bring conviction and encouragement. uh, To shape and form us as your people. And even though, God, we're talking about a man who lived 3,000 years ago, uh, we believe that your word is timeless. The truths from your word are for us today. And so we just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would would move move among us through this message um, and that you would teach us about your ways once again and that we wouldn't just listen and hear, God, but that we would respond to what you're calling us to do and you're calling us to be. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to look at a a story around the king uh, Rehoboam. And if you're curious like I was, people still do name their kids Rehoboam. I went on Facebook, did a search. Most of the people are not in the United States, but uh, there are Rehoboams out there. uh, So save you a little time searching on Facebook. And just a little trivia here to begin. So Rehoboam was the fourth king of Israel. Who were the first three kings? Now this is harder for us who are older. The younger people know this very well. So who is number one? Who is the first king? Okay, Matthew Cho. Well, do the first one. Saul. Okay, number one. Someone else, number two. One of the adults. Come on. This one's easy. David. Okay, David's number two. Number three? Solomon. Okay, good job, guys. So Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would succeed him as the next king. And personally, I've always held Solomon in high regard. If you remember back to early on in his life as king, uh, God shows up to him one night in a dream. And God says this to Solomon. He says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. What an offer. The God of the universe comes to you and says, 
whatever you want, it is yours. And I think God knew Solomon's heart. He knew that he wasn't a wicked man. But how does Solomon respond? He says this in 1 Kings 3.9. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And Solomon is just overwhelmed with the task ahead of him, being the new king of Israel. And like the song we sang this morning, Lord, I need you, he was in this place of great need. And he said, God, I need your wisdom. I need your discernment to lead these people. And God was so pleased with Solomon's answer that he told him that he would give him wealth and honor and long life on top of it. And Solomon became known as a king of great wisdom, and he led the campaign to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Everything in his dynasty started out so well. Yet Solomon had one area of significant downfall, an area of major weakness and struggle. Solomon could not resist the ladies. And this was no minor problem. This was not one or two women. The scriptures tell us that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, just think about that for a second. 1,000 women. Really, Solomon? I I can't wrap my head around that one. And the problem wasn't just the number, but many of these were foreign women who were leading his heart astray, and Solomon began worshiping the gods of his wives. Solomon started well, but honestly, he finished very poorly. And God was not pleased. He tells Solomon about his plans of judgment against him and against his line. Then the Lord raises up a man named Jeroboam, who is one of Solomon's officials, And God tells Jeroboam that he will tear the kingdom of Israel, all but one tribe, away from Solomon's line, and he will give it to Jeroboam. So the Lord is foretelling the impending division of Israel. So it's important to understand all this as Rehoboam steps into the picture as the new king of Israel. Everything is not okay in the land of Israel. In fact, the Israelites are a spiritual mess through the leadership of Solomon. And they're chasing after foreign gods, and the divide, the split of the nation, is looming. So we're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings 12. And this is Rehoboam's first few days as king. It says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam's son of Nebat heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Upon Solomon's death, Rehoboam has to leave his hometown, Jerusalem, and make a trip up to Shechem in the northern part of Israel to be crowned 
as a new king. I mean, we can see the tension already between the northern and southern tribes here. Can you imagine the new president of the United States leaving Washington, D.C. to go to Canada to be sworn in to office? And that's, that's pretty much what's happening here to Rehoboam. His leadership and his acceptance by the people is being tested. It's being challenged. And then Jeroboam comes back on the scene. Remember, this is the man the Lord had appointed to be an adversary against Solomon's line, and that he would take away 11 of the tribes. And Jeroboam had been hiding out in Egypt after Solomon tried to kill him, but now he's back. And he is the people's choice for the northern tribes to lead them. And he approaches Rehoboam, and the people, they want reform. You see, under the massive expansion of Solomon's kingdom, it had put a heavy tax and labor burden on the people of Israel. And they want some relief. They want the load to be lightened from their new king. And it's a fair request, but it's a request merely out of material and physical concern. They're concerned about the financial and labor demands on them, but there's no mention about the spiritual wasteland that was becoming of God's people. The people could have asked for Rehoboam to bring reform against the false worship of other gods and the rampant idolatry. And again, this shows us that not only the leadership of Israel is a spiritual mess, but the people have forsaken the Lord as their God. And after the request... Uh, Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Rehoboam's response to the people's request is T-T-Y-L. I'm throwing that in for the younger folk. Talk to you later. He asked for three days to make a decision, and he sends the people away. And then Rehoboam consults the advisors who had helped his father. And their counsel is lighten the load on the people and serve them, because they will never forget what you have done for them. They will always be loyal to you. But Rehoboam quickly dismisses their counsel. And he consults his friends who he'd grown up with. 
And the text says young men, but Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. So these aren't spring chickens. His friends counsel him to show the people that he means business and to not take him lightly. Increase the burden on the people so they know that you are a strong king. And the story continues. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So Rehoboam follows through on the advice of his friends, and immediately the northern tribes revolt and refuse to follow him as the new king. And the consequences were swift, and they were very significant. After Rehoboam's official is stoned, Rehoboam flees back to Jerusalem. And the nation of Israel is divided between the northern tribes and the tribe of Judah. You see, despite the failures of his grandfather and father, Rehoboam came from a lineage of great faith, and great wisdom before God. His grandfather, David, lived as a man after God's own heart. He was passionate, and and he was faithful before the Lord. Rehoboam's father, Solomon, was a man of great wisdom. But Rehoboam, he chose a path of foolishness and faithlessness before God. And from the, the life of Rehoboam, I want to share just four brief spiritual lessons for us today about the difference between living foolishly and living as wise and faithful before God. The first lesson is fools rush in. The wise wait and are not in a hurry. Just to give him props, Rehoboam actually does this pretty well. Uh, Maybe because he was backed into a corner, But he asked for three days to make a decision. He didn't give an answer quickly, but he exercised patience. And Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. One of the fruits of being a wise person is growing in patience. Learning to wait I was thinking this week, I mean, you look at our culture and how fast-paced we live. 
And I, I was thinking, why are we always in such a hurry? And then I was thinking, where do we find a life of expediency and speed being valued in the scriptures? I don't think we see it whatsoever. I mean, you look at the life of Moses and he flees Egypt. He's a shepherd for 40 years before God calls him back to Egypt. There's something about waiting that God delights in. He forms us as we wait on him. And we are so comfortable with the fast-forward button in life that it can not only lead us to miss significant opportunities, but to make poor and foolish decisions. And I believe God wants to remind us this morning that we need to learn to embrace waiting in our lives. Learning patience is part of growing in faith. We yield control and are willing to trust God's timing rather than trying to make it happen on our own. I just want to speak a word. If you're single or dating, I just want to encourage you, don't rush a romantic relationship. Be patient. Pace your relationship. Take your time to get to know the other person and let the relationship develop slowly. Who you choose to marry is one of the most significant decisions you will ever make. Be okay with waiting and learning patience as you wait for God's plan and God's timing. Fools rush in. The wise learn the blessing of waiting. The second lesson I want to share is that fools look to others first. The wise look to the Lord first. I mean, seeking counsel is a really good practice when making a decision. And the Bible affirms this and speaks to the importance of it. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel. but With many advisors, they succeed. And Rehoboam asked for counsel from two different people groups, which is another wise thing, to seek counsel from multiple sources. But the great tragedy for Rehoboam and where he failed greatly is that he looked to others for counsel but he never sought the Lord himself. We see nothing in this passage to suggest that Rehoboam took the time to pray, to seek the scriptures, and turn to the Lord for wisdom and counsel. Where his father Solomon succeeded in asking the Lord for a discerning heart, we see Rehoboam completely disregard God in this area. And I believe for those who have been walking with God for a long time, this is a dangerous trap for us. We have experience and wisdom that God has given us. We have many trusted friends who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it can be so easy for us to rely on ourselves and to rely on our spiritual community rather than going to God first. And even though it's not intentional, We can easily forget God in the picture of making decisions. And I I mean not just offering up a token prayer, but to really wait on God and to seek him and to listen for his voice. In Isaiah 30, 
31 is a challenging verse for us. It says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me. And my prayer for us is that we would be a people who seek the counsel of the Lord first. When there's a a decision or dilemma in our lives, that God would be our first audience to present that dilemma to, rather than quickly going to other people. And if you're at a place in your life where you're about to make an important decision, whether it's related to your family, your career, uh, a transition, uh, God wants you to come to him first with that decision. He wants you to lay it at his feet and to seek his counsel. And the beautiful thing is God promises to give us wisdom as we seek after him. James 1.5 is a beautiful promise for us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously. I have a different version. Sorry about that. But God is very generous in giving wisdom to his people. When we come to him and to ask him, the wise look to the Lord first, knowing that his counsel will not fail us. The third lesson is that fools look to blaze their own trail. The wise learn from those who have gone before them. It's amazing that Rehoboam had such little regard and respect for his father, even though he was known as a man of great wisdom. I mean, look at Rehoboam's answer. My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Rehoboam wanted to one-up his dad. And we see his ego coming out here. He wanted to prove to the people that he would be greater as a king than Solomon was. And yes, Rehoboam seeks the counsel of the elders, but he shows complete disregard for their counsel. He was itching to hear something that would satisfy his desire to build his ego and his fame. And this is a great temptation for us, especially when we're young, to be validated to make a name for ourselves and to blaze our own trail of glory. Last year, when I first started getting into running, seriously, I'd signed up for a race on July 4th. And I was running it with my little sister, Rachel. It was her birthday, actually. So it's going to be a special day. And I got in the best shape I could. And I was, I was ready for that race. And I had a goal in mind. You know, I'm a competitive person. You know, I'm not going to go into a race without a goal. And that morning at the race's start time, it was 80 degrees at 7 a.m. And it was very humid. And it ended up being over 100, 100 degrees that day. Any experienced runner will tell you, when it's hot and humid, you need to step it back. You need to slow down, and you need to take it a little bit more easy. That's pretty much common sense, right? Not for me that day, because <laughs> I had that goal in mind, and I was committed to reaching it, and I did not give much regard for the weather conditions, and I will never forget this day. <laughs> I went out hard those first two miles, and I was, I mean, I was, I was running fast, 
I remember watching a guy stop for water at mile two, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing stopping for water? This is a race. And about mile two, things started to just break down for me. And I struggled to finish that race. I honestly don't even remember crossing the finish line. And I sat down right after the race in the grass. I was just, I was beat. And I felt like I was going to pass out. And about 10 minutes later, I'm the guy on the stretcher (laughs) being put in an ambulance, taken to the ER uh, for dehydration and heat exhaustion. And I felt like such a fool. And I was. I was such a fool (laughs) that day. I mean, fools look to blaze their own trail. The wise learn from those who have gone before them. And fast forward to right now, I'm in the midst of training for my first marathon, and I, I was humbled by last year's race. And I'm doing a lot of reading. I read a lot of articles, a lot of books about running and you know, hydration, nutrition, pacing. You guys are excited about this, right? Like I am. Uh, but I'm trying to learn from those who have gone before me. And I think this is important for us. I mean, you look around this room. Not all of us are young in this room. We've got some gray hair in this room. God has deposited wisdom in those who are older, those who have gone before us. And we need to garner this wisdom in our community groups and in our friendship. We need to look to others and to be humble, to learn from those who are more spiritually mature than we are. Let's not be foolish and looking to blaze our own trail without seeking the counsel of trusted friends and those who've gone ahead of us. The last lesson I want to share this morning is fools look to their own self-interest. The wise learn to put others first. I find the NLT translation of verse 15 very helpful. It says of Rehoboam, so the king paid no attention to the people. He was so concerned with establishing his own name his own authority, that he forgot why he was king. His duty was to lead, protect, and care for the people entrusted to him. And here's the thing. I think each one of of us in this room has influence, whether we realize it or not. We have influence among our coworkers, our family, our friends, our neighbors. We have people in our life that God has entrusted to us and he's inviting us to make a difference in their lives, to learn to care for them more than we care for ourselves. And we can use this influence in two different ways, to serve ourselves like Rehoboam did or to learn to serve others. The wise recognize the trust they have been given from the Lord. And they exercise influence over people by learning to serve. Let's look at what Jesus says 
to his disciples. This is such an important verse. It says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Under the kingship of Jesus, things are different. We don't exercise authority like the Gentiles in the corporate world. We learn to lay our lives down for others. And I want to speak specifically to those of you that God has placed in the marketplace. I'm not an expert, but I spent a couple years in corporate America before seminary, and then I worked part-time in the marketplace throughout seminary. And from my limited experience in corporate America, I really believe the, the opportunity available to us as followers of Jesus to really shine for Christ and to make a difference. It, the opportunity is huge. In an environment where the almighty dollar rules the day, where people are looking out for number one, and where climbing the corporate ladder is the pursuit of the majority, you have a fantastic opportunity to be a witness and to show the world the love of God through being servant leaders. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you to be the kind of bosses the kind of managers, the kind of team leads, the kind of employees who are different, who take hold of Jesus' words that says, not so with you, who are not living out of self-interest, but are living as servants. So be attentive to the people in your workplace. Be attentive to how you handle influence and authority. And ask God to teach you more and more what it means to serve. Since becoming a mother, Yvonne's been working a part-time job um, in retail. And it's been amazing to watch the opportunity she's had to love her coworkers. And I've seen her choose to serve and choose to put, put their needs before her own. And it's amazing what a difference it's made in their lives. How easily they open up their stories and their pains and their heartaches and are open to Yvonne praying for them. And so I, I want to challenge you. Don't take lightly the influence that you have in your workplace and the difference that you can make if you put others before Yourself. I believe the opportunity available to us is huge. So as we come to a close, I mean, Rehoboam, he had that lineage of faith, uh, that lineage of wisdom, uh, but he disregarded it. And I think for many of us who have grown up in the church, we've been around Christianity for a long time, uh, we can make the assumption that, like, things are going to continue to go well. It took Rehoboam a few days, maybe three to five days, to mess up everything. And I think it should give us pause 
as God's people? Are we becoming people of wisdom? Are we becoming people of faith who are really trusting the Lord in our circumstances? And just to recap the lessons, God is calling us to be a people who wait on him, who are learning to be patient and to trust in his timing instead of trying to make things happen in our own timing. And God is calling us to be a people who choose him as our first audience. We're faced with a tough decision or something that's weighing our hearts down. Are we going to him first? Are we picking up the phone or sending the email to a friend first? And God is calling us to not be foolish and trying to blaze our own trail without the wisdom of others. Who in your life do you go to for counsel and wisdom? And last, God is calling us to lay down our self-interest and to live as servants and using our influence to love and to serve and to grow in humility instead of building our own little kingdoms. Where is God tugging on your heart this morning? Which of these four lessons is he impressing on you to grow as a person of faith and wisdom? I just want to give you just a a minute um, before the Lord just to spend some time reflecting and to pray. And and to not to... Not to look at Rehoboam as, man, that's a guy who just really messed up. Uh, But to move past Rehoboam and to look at your own life. Where's God calling me today to grow in faith? Where is God calling me today to grow in wisdom? Uh, So just take a minute of quiet reflection before God. Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is.